I think we're recording. We are. Cool. All right. I'm going to set my timer too because like he doesn't tell me the time. So I just. Oh, yeah. Boom. 8.06, May 6. Hello, world. Welcome to Oddcast with Ben and Fiona, searching for a higher meaning behind our current political and ecological predicaments, from the fight for justice in the material world to traversing mythological themes of the, of the metaphysical wonderverse. Ben and Fiona, keep up with the new and check in on the old in this odd, odd world. I made him read that. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I loved every second of it. We wanted, we want structure. We want <laughs> consistency. Exactly. <laughs> we will have order. Damn it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Hey, Ben. Hi. Nice it's to see not you. Like we didn't just catch up. Um. This is the uh, first time we've been talking all day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Basically. Basically. Um. Yeah. It's been a minute since our last episode and uh we've done new and exciting things in quarantine like watch more movies mm-hmm. yes fiona what movies have you been watching lately um well i watched one with you the other night called the lighthouse yes yes quarantine the movie <laughs> uh-huh. we thought that was uh relevant and then you had the idea of juxtaposing it with midsommar is that how you pronounce it that's how the director pronounces it. Uh, I just call okay. it Midsummer because I'm not pretentious, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I am, yeah. but not like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, and then Midsummer is uh, a dark breakup movie set against the vibrant, the vibrant background of a Swedish commune, which we discover is a murderous cult. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you wrote the word murder in the description. Spoiler alert, the murder cult murders. But it's very flowery murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice murder. Yeah. yeah. It's a little tickle and a hug murder. Yeah. <laughs> there were all these like weird terms. I, I'm not I'm not a like horror movie genre aficionado and reading up on a couple of uh analyses of that movie, they were throwing out all these kind of like horror movie terms like transcendental horror and uh slasher horror. And I don't, I don't know any of any of that. I'm. Yeah, I mean, I think we can get into that in a second. Um, I think like what we really wanted to talk about today. I think what are we? We're definitely both past day fifty in the um, great year of uh, Corona. Zozo. Corona War Three. Yeah. Zozo. <laughs> Twenty twenty Zozo year year of Zozo. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Yeah. So we're past day 50 of the quarantine. I feel like everyone we know is getting noticeably loopier as the time goes on. Time itself is becoming more of an abstraction. And we're just kind of like wandering today from today. There is no plans. There is just today. Um, so that's kind of like the mindset that we're, we're kind of in right now. But we wanted to talk about intentional communities because both of us have had experiences uh, first-hand experiences, and I spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to be in an intentional community, how our society views it, what it means, uh, and of course, we watched a creepy cult horror movie called Midsummer that definitely has something to say about it as well. And I also want to get a little bit into media representation of communes, intentional communities. Like, there are so many words out there. Uh, intentional community, eco-village, commune, um, uh what i didn't even write them all down uh extended family i don't know that they're they're not they're not all synonymous but they are often intermingled intermixed yeah definitely interchanged yeah Um, and you know i'm sure we could go into a long discussion about it or a long whole podcast series about it like what is the definition of a cult and and maybe i mean maybe we should maybe we should yeah um so, I mean, okay, I wrote down a few questions for us to go over. Mm-hmm. Do you think we should begin here? Love it. Um, yeah. What, um, what was your first question? I think, um, what does the term intentional community mean to you when you say it? Wow. Where really did you first hear that, that question. Oh, what's my background? Um, <clears throat> so... I um, I grew up in an intentional community. You can check out, uh, you can actually look us up. We're on the web. Uh, our web uh, 
our intentional community has a website, Kenny Ridge Community. It is a uh, an um, intentional uh, eco environmentally focused community on the outskirts of Athens, Georgia, and um, is about 30 families there, a little less. Um, and it was started in the mid mid early early 1990s uh, by a group of um, a, a group of families who really just wanted to uh, live in more synchronicity with their neighbors and also center their lives around certain ideals like living lightly on the land, etc. Um, and having some like some shared sense of community. So it's it's you know, I, I always think when I say that to people that I grew up in an intentional community, they're like, oh, wow, you, you like, you, you were a total like hippie child or part of a commune. Okay, a little bit. But um, I, I think we're somewhere between like neighborhood association and eco village. I don't know. We're not, we're not like super hardcore. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. How many people were um, part of this? What? How many people were part of this? Well, I, I think that today um, there are less than 30 families, about 30 families. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so that that's me. What about you? Hmm. Interesting. I definitely would have like fantasized about growing up the way that you grew up. I did not grow up in an intentional community. I grew up basically in a pretty isolated kind of suburban environment and sort of like fantasize for that and long for that and definitely like romanticize the idea of like a commune in fact like when i was in college like for a year like i really wanted to have my major be the like exploration of communes um so i went to this like design your own major kind of like hippie liberal arts school called the mm -hmm. johnston center for integrative studies at the university of redlands in california uh, yeah, and so we did not have letter grades. We had like written evaluations for classes. So like we wrote an evaluation of ourselves. We wrote an evaluation of the professor. We wrote an evaluation of our performance in the class and whether we succeeded in completing what we had contracted for ourselves to get out of the class. Um, so just like very self-directed learning, um, mm -hmm. pretty radical stuff you know, from what I had experienced until then. You know, we lived in a separate, like, dorm away from the college. It was, like, these two buildings where about 150, 200 students lived, and it was just, like, this gender-neutral, like, uh, kind of, like, environment everywhere, and it was definitely uh, going from, like, an Orthodox Jewish high school, <laughs> which I went through, and then going to this, it was a complete opposite. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my experience with the intentional community, and I feel like the word intentional community started off in my mind as like, oh, wow, what an amazing term. But very so often, I feel like maybe you share this, whenever you hear that that term, there's a kind of like wink to it, almost like intentional community, huh? You know, and uh, <laughs> like there's this like sense of like cheesiness or like hippie bongo drums or something or like people just doing cultist things or 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 or, 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 or even more subtle than that, people's experiences getting disenfranchised or like um, kind of uh, disillusioned by their experiences with intentional communities is like part of the experience itself. And I felt like you actually expressed that pretty well in the essay that you wrote. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I want I to go to that really fast because uh, I've been thinking about this episode for a few days and thinking about uh, the history of the expression intentional communities and how and how encompassing that word is because I think you, you like your college experience that's absolutely an intentional community in my mind um, even like a suburban neighborhood can be an intentional community if there are any kind of like rules that everyone abides by or like agreed upon direction of, yeah. of living um, and uh, I there's definitely some like hippie overtures and associations with intentional community but in my mind that's something I'm trying to well I, I, I really want to research that because I think that's too narrowing and I think that that is not uh, I think that that's exclusionary to all of the different forms of community that do exist and that maybe 
people don't own the term intentional community exactly, but it like there are, I don't know, in, in, in my like broad view of what an intentional community is, we're all in some form, um, especially here in America. I mean, ours is like the history of um, like an attempt at radical alternative lifestyle. Um, that's, we've been a, a laboratory for experiments in alternative living since our founding. So right. um, I, I see the term very broadly and I definitely want to, at some point, maybe in our next episode, get more into the like race class um, associations with community and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, anyway. Hmm, interesting. This is... So, yeah, so I guess, uh, yeah, maybe I, I interchange intentional community with the word commune. Um, I Maybe I, I scoff at the word intentional community to describe, like, a you know, a liberal arts college because it's still, you know, a very, still built in, like, the, the world that we still live in, all the rules of society. And... Um, you know, if you can't pay your tuition, you can't stay in the intentional community. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you could say like a American suburb is an intentional community, or maybe it's like the inverse of an intentional community. It's a unintentional mobile privatization of living quarters or like the like nuclear family. Um, or it's an intentional community for like white people. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, but what you know what associate what what associations does our society have with it that's really relevant um and that's one of your your questions and that kind of gets into uh our experience watching these movies uh which i'd like to provide a big caveat uh i've not really forayed into the uh the realm of film critique before so this is a a new and exciting turn but do you watch movies Yes. Then you can critique them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, we have a lot of time in quarantine now. And so we just have time to watch uh, these obscure movies. Or I guess in this case, these are both not super obscure. I guess these are both... I kind of, I've been lumping these two movies together in my mind for over a year, actually. Um, really? Even before I saw either of them. Because, like, they were both... Uh, follow-ups to really hit breakout hits by these new um, kind of horror directors. Ari Aster, who directed Hereditary, and Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch. Both amazing movies. Mm -hmm. um, and this, both of these movies, Midsummer for Ari Aster and The Lighthouse for Robert Eggers, were their kind of like um, anticipated follow-up uh, to both of these movies. And they both seemed like they were very highly stylized um but in totally opposite ways at least visually right the lighthouse is uh a black and white movie about this guy who is taking a shift on a lighthouse with william defoe it's robert pattinson william defoe they're just together on this lighthouse like managing it and they both slowly go insane and it's like a descent into madness and weird things with like mermaid sex and mm -hmm. homosexuality and just complete madness and I loved it. Yeah. It, was great. it was a great both movie. Of, both of them really uh, utilize visual. I, I mean, both of them try to represent uh, distortion of reality and the the altering perceptions of the of the protagonists, the main characters. And and Lighthouse, I think, uh, was I don't know a bit a bit less modern feeling about it it kind of just had like cuts like shining-esque cuts to just like long creepy dark hallway or uh random hallucinations Atmosphere. yeah <laughs> yeah. It, yeah it felt a little more like uh high society in its or i don't know interesting yeah yeah i mean it so yeah midsummer is about a story of a person just a girl who has this horrible family tragedy and who goes with her boyfriend and some friends to this midsummer festival in Sweden. And that's when the weird cult for murder stuff happens. Um, 
yeah, I. <sighs> I guess like these movies, bo- okay, both these movies definitely stuck with me, which is why I guess I feel like talking about them so much because there's, I feel like there's so much there in those movies to like extract. Um, both kind of touch on my personal experiences, both with intentional communities gone right and gone wrong. Um, and like, you know, <laughs> the lighthouse, just total isolation. Like I've seen the lighthouse. I've seen like so many people on like Instagram, like post like photos and clips of the lighthouse being like, oh my God, this is how I feel right now in quarantine. Like, and it's just, I feel like everyone's watching that movie now and being like, oh my God, Eureka, this is me. It's like, it's, yeah, it's funny. Oh no, it's memed out. Okay. It's, it, <laughs> kind of, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah. Um, well, I guess, yeah, what what did you think, did you enjoy both these movies? Would you recommend them? Did you feel like one was more coherent than the other? What? Yeah, uh, it's it's funny because I was, I was telling a couple people about this episode and to my parents, I would not recommend either of these movies, a little too dark. Um, to my, I watched it with some of my, I watched Midsommar with some of my housemates as we watched Lighthouse with some of yours. Um, and uh i think that um <laughs> yeah they i i definitely preferred midsomar um it appealed to me a little bit more i i know we're going through quarantine or whatever but actually my quarantine experience has been closer aligned with huh. midsomar than the <laughs> um, i feel like my intentional household community which we actually like actually in the future want to start our own intentional community like we're uh yeah anyway uh we've we've come together a bit more i've I've mentioned this on the podcast before and so it's uh we're not quite at like sacrificing um sacrificing animals or anything level uh or people but um we're pretty we're pretty tight we're pretty close nice just came from a communal meal oh nice that's so funny i felt like i I mean, I love both movies. I bought them for a reason. Um, I found I like The Lighthouse a little bit better. Maybe because The Lighthouse is closer to what my quarantine experience yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, do you like it more because you relate to it more with your current situation? Or did the uh, did the story compel you more? Or when did yeah. you first see it also? The Lighthouse? Yeah. So with you. That was the first time you watched it. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you're speaking now, presently, your immediate, your week old reaction to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, um, I mean, I, I was, the movie Hereditary that came before Midsummer that he directed, it to me is like a perp. That movie kind of changed my life in a way. Really? And yeah. And um, in terms of like what I thought a movie could make me feel, right? Um, and to me, and it, like, both including like like the horror and the almost spiritualistic catharsis. Whereas mm-hmm. like Midsummer took that the spiritualistic catharsis and really just kind of drag stretched it out a little bit longer during a lot of sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, I think there, there's definitely more to get out of Midsummer, which is why it, it's, it's funny how like imperfect movies and more cluttered movies, I feel like there's more ideas to pick apart from it. Whereas The Lighthouse, like it, was, you know, it wasn't as clear as to like, okay, was the mermaid real? Was it a metaphor? Like, what, like who was telling the truth? Uh, you know, this character or that character, you don't really know. Um, and I can definitely see why elements of the lighthouse might have frustrated people because of like the lack of like okay like what is actually happening in the movie is like who knows and that's kind of maddening for people you know mm-hmm. um, in terms of, like what the lighthouse like represented um, but I felt like um, and it was just a better film overall like it was a nicely like packaged thing whereas Midsummer felt more like messy to me. And definitely felt more of like a slog in some areas where like you knew exactly what was going to happen, but it just took so long to get there, you know. Um, whereas that like, is really funny. What? I feel the opposite. <laughs> I really feel like the lighthouse was really meandering. I mean, you know that he like wants, you know that Robert Pattinson's character, the the lighthouse assistant, really wants to like get to the light 
at the top of the lighthouse. You know that at at a pretty early on point, he that's his like goal. And William Defoe's character, the the guy who like drives him insane and tries to kill him and all this stuff, his uh, the lighthouse worker, the manager there. Um, he has like uh, that one was like more uh, ambiguous to me because you don't know if he's like trying to fuck with him or yeah. no, it is ambiguous. Uh, yeah, whereas, whereas with uh, Midsommar, like the people in this s- small Swedish community, they're kind of they always like they always they're not very like covert about their actions they're pretty out in the open it's it's i saw the term like daytime horror movie uh used to describe it like anytime any of the characters ask them a question they pretty much tell the truth they're like this is yeah this is what's going on this is our philosophy Mm -hmm. and the characters are a little obtuse they're like Mm -hmm. not really getting what's going on (laughs) yeah yeah i i think of both movies as like examples of like uh somebody walking into a trap somebody yeah. walking into a situation that they're just like bait or or they're just they have they don't know what's coming and the question in my mind is like what 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 rules the destiny of the person walking into the trap or the situation or just the circumstances of life right is it like a kind of chaotic psychosis you know, that's like just a mirror reflected back at you, like the lighthouse, or is it like a carefully constructed, fated kind of inevitability of like all the little things that the community has set up, almost like literally set up, you know, um, yeah. delicate forms. Um, and to me, that's like really interesting and something that I think like that director has definitely explored before, like the idea of like external forces just controlling every aspect of what's going on and you're just like you think the main character has like control but but like they're really just like a mouse in a maze you're talking about the lighthouse i'm talking about more of midsummer and like hereditary yeah okay um yeah because oh it's just it's it's fascinating how we've like read this (laughs) in two different ways yeah yeah because i feel like midsummer um is is all very calculated like the swedish foreign exchange student who invites all of his american friends to this swedish festival in his home village has like orchestrated the whole thing he knows that they're gonna like be sacrificed that's Um, my point yeah okay yeah well so he's he's the he's the external force acting upon all these characters lives and he's being he's being slyly dishonest too there's just as much social manipulation in the cult as there is with the american friend group who's like awkwardly keeping shit from the girl you know yeah yeah oh that's a good that's a good thought yeah yeah um a kind yeah. of social conspiracy or paranoia you know like everyone knows something that you don't and you you know that it's true you just don't know what it is you know yeah i think a lot of people honed in on that um that aspect of like uh being like super mad at at the guys in that movie like you know he's a shitty boyfriend and Christian. His name's Christian. Isn't that interesting? Why? His name is Christian. And and like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're at the end, like what happens to him? I don't know. (laughs) Christianity is manipulative and a bad boyfriend. boyfriend. We're going to name this episode Christianity is a bad boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. uh, but, But also though, okay, yes, he was a bad boyfriend, but the dude was raped, all right? Like, like, he he was drugged multiple times and, like, you know, put in a situation where, like, he assumed, like, uh, maybe his life might be in danger and then they just, like, used him. And, yeah. No, that that was straight up, like, a male rape scene, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it was, it was. Um, and I wonder if Ari Aster, uh, who had gone through a breakup in his own life, was... I wonder how much of an emphasis you wanted to place on that, like that they were all like at the whim of these external forces, if that was some kind of commentary, because it seemed like a very sort of like feminist take on, on, on a breakup. Like he definitely, the director seemed to side a lot with the, the woman, the Danny, the girl who uh, 
was we're sort of seeing this all through her perspective and we're seeing how like it's a floundering relationship like they're not really doing well together and then they decide to just go on this trip yeah abroad yeah yeah it, it's interesting how people especially like couples discuss this movie you know about who like who who like defends who for doing what and like the hilarious like i don't know it's just like um because i feel like uh, the worst mistake that like christian did really in the movie and i think it's pretty clear like he should have broken up with her in the beginning like he should have just been like um and what's interesting about this is because like what happened to the girl spoiler do you want to spoilers spoilers we okay. already said spoiler alert. Okay. Her whole family dies in the horrible, like, suicidal incident. And, like, if, like, that happened, it's, like, something where, and someone's entire family wiped out, and you, like, that is what's great about this movie, the horror of, like, codependency, extreme codependency of, like, you have no one else in the world except for this person. And, like, what, how that just, like, erodes the relationship, you know, um, and, like, mm -hmm. you know, he, she, she, he should have broken up with her in the beginning, and then he got this call from her, and, and then he probably, you know, he felt, rightly or wrongly, that he was, like, trapped, you know, in this relationship, and, like, did he make the right choice or the wrong choice staying with her after that? It's really hard to, like, judge at that point. Like, of course, he acted, like, shittily, um, but uh, it's, I don't know, it's, to me, I'm, I feel like it's, I, I'm not quite ready to say that like this is a feminist breakup movie just because it makes like the girl seem more like, um, and who she is a lot more sympathetic than the guy. Um, the, uh -huh. guys, the, the guy reminded me of like Chris Pratt, but with like no humor, with none of the humor and none of the uh -huh. charm or like, or like uh, endearingness. <laughs> yeah. Just some like, some oaf, like some, uh, yeah. Well, I can, I can definitely get behind uh, the sort of uh, inaction that is emphasized. The I don't know, that the, they're like pawns in this. They don't take control of their lives, so external forces take it for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw someone describe this movie as like a like spectacular display of human failures. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> a lot of horror is you're watching and you're like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, so, okay. Well. Um, okay. Intentional community. Yeah. What, what does, uh, what does this all like say about, um, about the intense, uh, go wherever you want to go intense isolation although even in the lighthouse we, we talk about this as intense isolation but there's some like dependency going on there too in their relationship like they're two men marooned on this in this lighthouse as a storm is rolling in uh and they have nowhere else to go like they kind of yeah. just have each other and they go mad together in a way um, that's, that's a really good comparison yeah mm. so we have we have intense, we have the intensity of two people represented in both of these films, but in one, there is some kind of cathartic outlet in the end that leads to family, that leads to community, some like larger um, embrace. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's a larger embrace in The Lighthouse, but like, it's definitely hard to... See, to me, like, when I watched, like, Midsummer, and a lot of people were, like, saying they were worried about Midsummer because it didn't shine a positive light on intentional communities. It was, like, intentional communities, the horror, you know? Um, or, like... Um, That's, like, every movie, yeah, piece yeah. of media. They all take a jab. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, there's, like, also plenty of movies that poke at, like, the horror of, like suburban isolation or like alienation or like lack of human connections and, and you can't trust anyone kind of a thing. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's other movies that, that shows the other end of the spectrum, but I watched Midsummer and I overall felt more sympathetic to the positive outlook that the community put, especially in regards to, what's her, her name again? I keep forgetting. Danny? Danny, yeah, yeah. 
how like that moment of like catharsis that she has like at the end like you know when she's like screaming with like all these other like women in like a group and it's just like like there are some things that happen to you in life that a single person just cannot handle you know like you like need a group you need a community um because any one individual no matter how deep the relationship is it's just not equipped to like handle the like perils of life sometimes and like Pele even says this he's like I lost all my parents but like I had a family I had this community and like that's when he like tells her you know and so to me I feel like that is the biggest nugget that I got out of the movie um even though it definitely shows like the negative sides of the community as well so real quick Pele is the Swedish exchange student who brings all of these Americans back to uh back to his his community and um uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? I forget. Anyway, there was, oh, and the scene that you're talking about is uh, a scene towards the end where all of the women, after Danny has won the honor of, of May Queen, they've sort of taken her aside as her boyfriend is being drugged. And, and, uh, <laughs> Doing uh, the sex magic ritual with forced, the, old, the old woman pushing him in the back. Forced into this, uh, this young virgin's, like, uh, ritualistic, like, first-time sex thing, and, and he's just very, like, what is going on? Oh, this is so creepy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so the scene that you're referring to is where the woman have taken Danny aside, and she's just, like, she's already, she's she's privy to this. She knows that her boyfriend, uh, not, she's not quite sure what state he's in, but she knows that her boyfriend is uh, screwing another girl, basically, mm-hmm. um, and has gone off has been waylaid there and she's just like it everything's crashing down on her she she feels this is her moment of intense isolation she feels like there's no one there for her and in that in that low moment where she's just like pushing everyone away and is trying to just like have a moment to scream her this character is really good at like expressing these intense like outrage outlet moments um all of these women young and old are there with her at the same time uh, as they are with Christian, like all these other women are there with her and they just start screaming right back at her. And they're all just like in sync, breathing at the same time, just like heaving in this like big, like amoebic mass, like all it all just like absorbing and, and like regurgitating her emotions back at her. And she's just like, what the fuck, but also <laughs> like scre- still screaming and processing it. So yeah, that, that scene has definitely been memed out. Beautiful <laughs> scene. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a beautiful scene. I think it's like one. Of, it's like the like peak of the movie. I feel. Yeah, well, you felt that that was the peak. Yeah, because. yeah. Because she, she finally, you've been just waiting for her to have her like catharsis the entire movie. She's just well, like, you've been waiting for her to have somebody who actually shares and like yeah. receives what she's going through, rather than this like really disinterested, disengaged boyfriend. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So is that the true, is that what we are aiming towards with intentional communities? Do we want that? Do we want like perfect <laughs> empathy? Is that a goal? Is that yeah. an ideal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. Great question. Because um, I have seen many goals and ideals expressed in a couple of communities. So after growing up in this intentional community, which had more like environmentally themed goals, um, stewardship of the land kind of goals. Uh, I then um, took a gap year in New Zealand and visited five intentional communities there um, and kind of figured out, like they were of varying sizes. Some were like, just like two people um, and others were like very old, very established from like World War II, you know, they, they were, you know, at least, uh, what, 70 years old uh, communities. And um, they all had varying degrees of commitment and varying, like, ideals. Yeah, some just wanted, like, literally a, like, to form their own education system for, for like, their kids. They, they wanted to basically, like, have a school be the the gravitational pull of the community's mission um and others wanted to like go full in with like you 
uh, you share uh, you share cars, you share income, you share work, you share meals, you share living space. There's like non-possessive ideals. You share the burden of self-governance. Um, you share everything. Uh, so um, wide, wide spectrum. Have you come across any other like big ideals of intentional communities? Have I come over uh, any big come what? Come across any other like ideals with intentional communities or, or goals? Ideals. I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting. You know, I, the first instance of an intentional community that actually used that phrase was my college. But I mean, I have to admit, like my like Orthodox Jewish upbringing in the like Seattle community is an extremely insulated community, um, and like it has its own, you know, like customs and gossip and roles and cast outs and um all sorts of things and um and it has its own inertia and the people that it brings along in, in its momentum like in its like mobbery and if you like and if you like are outside of that um then like you'll be basically cast out or like i mean just to graduate my school like you had to like do a whole conversion process then um and so i definitely like, saw the like darker more manipulative sides of like a more religious community um before i had a more positive kind of self-building one of academic exploration um that let's see I'm, I'm looking through some of my notes because you kind of touched on um, a, an article I read or an idea about like um, the one of, you know, one of the benefits of, uh, of intentional communities or as some people, you know, liken them to extended families. Like we've, uh, we've kind of, grown smaller in our families um and we used to have more extended a, a more extended family structure a bit and some of that uh one of the one of the strengths of that extended family structure was like having a place to uh process your emotions and develop life philosophies with your chosen group of people chosen or unchosen i don't know you that's like a uh a, a group where you um where you're able to like develop yourself and really choose what kind of things you live by so do you feel like your second experience with co intentional community was more in line with that ideal yeah, I think it definitely gave me the sense that consensus was more important than like hierarchy. Um, whereas I think in some intentional communities, like it's hierarchy that is the structure that pulls yeah. it together, and in others, it's consensus. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah. But both, yeah. I mean, I've seen both. I feel like both came. Can carry it along just because it's a shitty structure doesn't mean it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, do you feel like the the religious structure that you were a part of was uh, had some kind of aim at moral development? Like, was there a genuine sure. interest in like self discovery? I'm sure they'd like to think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, not not a genuine in interest in self discovery, just a genuine interest in. Uh, Integration, I guess. <laughs> um, Integration, yeah. yeah. I.e. indoctrination. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, and and so you know, if we're if we're grouping religious, what what separated? This is a half baked question. So, uh, what separates this? religious high school you attended 
from uh, from like a, a a community that's committed to uh, what am I trying to ask here? Like, what separates religious community from intentional community? Is the religious community an intentional community? Yeah, I think it is. Well, okay, okay wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I, I think it is, but here's the thing. I don't think you personally, Fiona Sheehan, was intentional about joining the community that you joined. You were just born into it, you know? And so for the same thing uh, of like the religious community, right? The community itself could be intentional, but the individuals that make it up have no intention whatsoever of choosing that, you know, um, which is which is interesting. Yeah, it's usually the the older members of the family that are uh, trying to trying to find a stabilizing force or a stable environment to raise their, their family in. They, they, they see the benefits of some kind of like shared parenting in a way, maybe even just like more access to babysitters or something, or, or they see the benefit of having, yeah, village raise their kid in a way. And so they, uh, you get a lot of kids who are just brought up in this environment, but had, no uh no direction there themselves they they didn't choose it like you said yeah yeah did most of the people you grew up with in that community i mean i don't know how much in touch with them you keep now but like are they favorable to the way that they grew up like do they look back on it fondly pretty much i think everyone does yeah, nobody just reacted against it uh, in some sort of contrarian way. Decided you know, to become like a libertarian. <laughs> um, no, we don't have any like uh, super uh, outlier political um, people. Um, although it's it's interesting that we were sort of a mostly liberal liberal leaning community and um i did notice that some of the older generations of kids who were not part of my like um group of friends that i grew up with we were all about the same age we all were the sort of like uh big focus of the community was was raising our my group of like eight girls who i grew up with um the the older generations they some of them um definitely like swung swung hard to the right um mm. following their their upbringing mm. interesting so mm. different experience i guess yeah do you think that this is something that everyone could benefit from like do you think that there are people that you know that would not do well in an intentional community or, or is this something that everyone can or should uh, lean towards? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, if this is where I want to take like a really broad stance in my deck, a broad, broad angle in defining intentional communities, because I think that these are a lot of the ideals that, we see expressed in like politics and in um in education in like we we all really just like we want the right to a safe healthy world and we we want some form i think that there is like a however like individualistic our society has become i think there's always a leaning towards um towards cohe group cohesion uh in some form or fashion we still seek it out no matter how like isolated we've become with social media and whatever um and so i i would say that 
I've met some people who are like extremely individualistic and and they are not too interested in going through the burdens uh going through the wading through the mess of like collective decision making because I think that is an integral part of my definition of intentional communities is there's some form of like collective decision making that has to happen um and some people are just better off like they're better on their own and that's totally cool so I can't recommend it for those people but I can recommend it for people who maybe not even like want to like share the same vision of the world to 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 the nth degree um or start a farm with each other but i i think that i would like recommend these ideals for like some kind of group protective agreement with everyone pretty much yeah hmm. i don't know yeah so <laughs> you had a question at the end deeper insight insights into the hidden nature of all human relationships well i actually wrote that because of what you wrote down initially um in your like what did i write? well you wrote in like your short story or your uh piece that you wrote it's like the last sent oh, damn it i thought i saved it and now i have to go find it all over i talked about utopia mm -hmm. go on what does utopia mean utopia is a term coined by Thomas More, and it literally means no place. So suggesting uh, that utopia is non-existent. It's not an actual attainable, tenable idea. Um, yeah. But uh, I was thinking that um, after reading that book for a utopia dystopia class in high school where I wrote this essay, um that i think that um i think i agree with that that utopia isn't uh, a thing we should strive for like utopia being that's kind of a, an ambiguous term but like i guess thomas more presented this sort of like a uh, community of people who were oh man i i hardly remember the synopsis of the book but i think it was like a a community that was just like perfectly cohesive and like their own self-governance and they they all worked together and they were all just like on the same page and like came to the same decisions together it was like a very like well-oiled society no dissent no uh no disagreement all that kind of harmonious bullshit and i just i don't think that that is the goal here that's not my goal certainly yeah. um i think it's more uh that you um, speaking definitely as a hardcore introvert here, uh, that you find like a way to bring these ideals with you to these situations so that you are not like, you know, intentionally like disrupting the, the ideals there being expressed. You're not like coming with these sort of ego driven uh me 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 ideals you do have a, a a sense of like collective benefit and your part in everything um i think that's a better ideal to strive for more empathy basically yeah okay you ended it with i learned that the term utopia <laughs> Coined by Moore himself literally means no place. I'm sorry I'm reading this. I know I didn't ask your permission. This pointed me towards the idea that maybe there is no place on a map where people should sacrifice their differences for a common vision, no matter how much it strives to align with the common good. Rather, utopia might be more useful to think about as an internal sense of peace that you bring with you wherever you live and build community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not sure. Yeah, I, I, I really I, like that. The how you ended that. Yeah. You did okay. Um, it mostly still resonates a decade later. <laughs> Almost a decade later, not quite. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but do you? I mean, you've you've been involved in political organizing for a while, like, and there's some 
there's some envisioning there of a of a better society what what have you gleaned from that time <laughs> what, what, what are you asking me? <laughs> i guess i'm drawing the connection to politics here and envisioning a better society but i we can we can speak more broadly based on your entire experience uh as as ben Selesky, what is what's your um what are your uh tenants for uh a good good society good good collectivism well i hope you have a few hours <laughs> uh -huh. i'm gonna lay out my entire vision of a future society right give here. us your manifesto in under 30 seconds yes yes uh, don't be shitty i don't know <laughs> don't be shitty yeah. To other people. Okay. Exactly. Ain't that hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it can be in the negative too. Like, yeah. Well, when I read that last paragraph, I the first thing I thought of was like any kind of real estate that people fight over. You know, like the state of Israel, right? In fact, one of the pe one of the places that first began doing kibbutzim in you know, sort of little communes or they're in its, in its early stages and still has a few nowadays, but they really pioneered that. Um, but but I think the way people like view Israel as a kind of like, or at least, you know, religious Jews, super like Israeli nationalist people, they view it as like a supernaturally ordained piece of real estate that is somehow like owed to you um, and nobody else has a right to it or like you know you definitely has, have first dibs um as a people and just like the like the silliness of of that idea of like grown adults thinking that um and <laughs> it's uh well i don't know it's just the last few paragraphs of that just I, that's just what i thought of when i read that i don't know if that's what you were thinking um but kind of like i, I think the because you actually use the word geography no place on a map specifically I feel like the when I read that that line on that just got put into my head like that you know home isn't a place it's just a mindset uh, kind of a thing yeah uh, yeah which may or may not be true but um, I agree with the spirit of the statement yeah um, well that that can be. I think that is maybe a connection to our next episode on race, class, and privilege and intentional community um, in that uh, we have not all had the same access to land ownership and we have not all like had our fair, like our fair uh, chance at at that and you kind of you kind of need land you need land for a community um you need a place it's not it's not just a mindset as much as we were all in the abstract a second ago if we're if we're getting down to brass tacks intentional community requires land um and uh you we yeah we want to um veer more i i think that an ideal is to in order to correct some of the wrongs of the society that we have been operating in for you know this oppressive system of of like every uh you know it's it's monetary gain and whatnot um a way to correct that is to just give people the access to that land like it's it's not owned by the government or whatever it's it's just like give give this to the public give give the public um equal access mm -hmm. i'm veering towards like socialism now but um yeah i mean i feel like that's it's weird because these communities have an have an aura of both being communitarian and exclusive at the same time, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like they, like if, if you're in it, everything belongs to everyone. But to just to be in it, just to get to that point, feels like an exclusionary thing. You know what I mean? It's like, 
intentional communities are a community of outsiders you know they've like made their their existence uh to be defined as being outside of some other thing alternative alternative Alternative. yeah Yeah. Uh, see you were an intentional community before it was cool um yeah but if intention if we see intentional communities as some kind of like political dissidence or radical way of addressing problem social societal problems um then is this like is forming a community with your friends and going and living off the land with a couple people that you see eye to eye with is that actually like addressing like re redressing these social ills or is that withdrawing from them and like escaping it's a great question that's that's a an issue i'm working through with intentional communities am i just going to like drop off the map and like say all right fuck the world bye yeah like yeah you're trying to emulate your ideals by like living in this way but yeah I'm always initially tempted to be like, yes, you're running away. You're abdicating your responsibility as a citizen of the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, and but at the same time, t- 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 yeah, well, to, 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 to be part of, of, of an oh. community, in my mind, my first instinct is to like, be like, that's like cowardice. That's like what the hippies did once they were like frustrated because their protest didn't do anything, you know? Yeah. Um, which like, I totally understand. Like, I'm always like one step away from that every single day. Um, but, um, but at the same time, I think it is important to create models of of alternative societies, right? Like we need to be like, we need to, I don't know, some, some quote somewhere about like, we need to animate every political action we do or or, every political action we do needs to be animated with a vision of a future society. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that's like really important to keep in mind because we, because otherwise they'll just fall into like a, a, a worldview of what can get 60 votes to pass the Senate or what about the Supreme, or how are we going to get past the Supreme court or what about the red districts or the Jerry, like you like, which is a more depressing mindset than the most like biggest climate doomer ever. It's all those people that are just like working within this, like, comically dissolving institutions that are just like crumbling before our eyes every day and she's like mm-hmm. well like you really want to operate in that it's like okay we're at least building something new that is like we're like the midwives of history right you know we're trying to like get a different alternative model of something through so that because we can see the fucking weakness of the current one you know and so i think like i've actually become more open to um, embracing alternative communities and lifestyles and, and, and you know, economic yeah. At a certain point, you just get exhausted, but the, um, but are, yeah, is it, are you starting a movement or are you just like starting a farm? And, uh, oh, I don't know. I think like starting a movement. Both, both. Like, are people gonna? Are you hoping that people follow suit? Are you like trying to be some kind of leader there, lead by example, or are you just like throwing your? I wash my hands of this, throwing your hands up. I think they're like one of the same. I think all the people that are like I'm trying to lead by example are really just like. Uh, self-absorbed or like narcissistic but it's but I have I have empathy for that I think um, you know we've been trained at birth to assume that our you know personal lifestyle choices and and lifestyle um, is a reflection of our values Um, and it's you know the powerful people destroying the world would love us to continue thinking that Mm. Mm. because they want us to carry the burden of it all all on our shoulders instead ah, of putting it on theirs yeah that's an interesting one so they want us to keep like recycling and buying organic eggs and feeling like we have some modicum of control yeah exactly yeah yeah um then you know you're like 
you're like a priest at best and you're a fashionista at worst, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you're just like living your life as a pure, a sort of living example of your values, you know, this like aura of spirituality in all of your actions, right? Or you're just following some eco fad or something. And like, yeah. Just, yeah, it's the same thing. And is, yeah, is that ultimately just kind of a boring, boring way to live? Well, it's ineffectual. I think it can be fun if it gives you psychic satisfaction. Yeah. Life's, uh, the answer to life's questions, we will continue. To be continued, the answer to all of life's questions in the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to say that at the end of every episode. Yes. Well, we'll we'll be asking some questions maybe in the next episode. Yeah. We're going to ask some Ask questions. questions to life's questions yeah find those here <laughs> wonderful okay sounds good i'm gonna press stop on the recording i realize i can stop the recording wait we, we have to have an out an oh outro. right okay okay uh <laughs> what's our outro <laughs> uh well thank you so much for listening <laughs> and uh, we hope to put these out more often than we have yeah, yeah, we're um, we're still still trying to uh, arrive at at some some kind of good truth. Okay, yeah, I I don't have a good outro. <laughs> Saying goodbye is super tedious. Yeah. It's it sucks. Bye. Yeah, yeah. boy. <laughs> okay, until next time. See you soon, world. Stay safe. Stay beautiful. <laughs>